In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today is the feast day of Pope John Paul II, now Saint John Paul II. It's an invitation for us to consider this great Pope who, as you know, came from, from Poland where he suffered many trials and tribulations. Already when he was only 17 years old, he was left completely alone in the world. His mother had passed away when he was quite young. He had a brother who was a medical doctor but who contracted uh, tuberculosis and he passed away when he was 17 years old and uh, around that same time his father passed away who was a a military uh, officer. And you imagine you're only 17 years old, you've got your whole life ahead of you and he was completely alone in the world. And well maybe he had a few relatives but even that was very very limited. And so already when he was a young man, he started to feel the tug that God was calling him to something. He, in a, in a context that was very uh, difficult with uh, communism, very rampant in Poland and Nazism, well, he decided to study uh, philosophy, but it had to be done in secret. When he entered the seminary, it was completely uh, underground and so he ended up uh, being ordained by Cardinal Sapieha, the Cardinal of Warsaw and um, and ended up becoming a priest. He would teach, he would go to different parishes and eventually he was ordained a bishop and as you know he became Pope in 1978 and Pope John Paul II resonates for me because he was uh, the, pope, the Pope of my youth. I have very um, clear recollections of him speaking to large, large crowds where really thousands of people would want to go and hear him speak. He was the Pope who was shot. Eh? There was an assassination attempt against him which had all kinds of uh, you know, odd uh, conspiracy theories behind it. But even when he was shot, I was not even Catholic at that time, but he was going through St. Peter's Square on the Pope Mobile, and then this, this shot rang out, and the pigeons flew over St. Peter's Square, and you could see the blood on his white uh, cassock, a cassock that has still been preserved today and is truly a relic of his heroism. And probably one of the most sort of touching moments was as soon as he could speak he pronounced from St. Peter's Square from the, it was transmitted from the Gemelli Hospital where he was he, he transmitted a, a formal 
act of forgiveness for the man who had shot him. You could hear his voice in St. Peter's Square. He was weak. He was, you know, his voice was crackling and, and, and trembling. And he said, as to my assassin, I forgive him with all my heart. And people were going, wow, man, that was amazing. You know? And people were in tears just hearing that expression of forgiveness. And then something like a year later, once he was back on his feet, he actually went to the prison and he, he actually expressed his forgiveness personally to his assassin. And one famous um, French journalist, whose name was André Frossard, said when he saw that picture of Jean-Paul II speaking to his assassin, who was a, who was a, a Muslim fellow, but when he saw that picture of Pope Jean-Paul II sitting closely listening to his assassin, he said, that is the most supernatural photo of the 20th century. Right? A pope with his assassin, a Muslim assassin, speaking practically as though they were friends. Right? And that sort of raised up his profile, and he really became kind of a, a superstar. And everywhere you would see him, he was always, he had this smiling face, he had this energy, and always full of this great zeal to bring Christ uh, to the world. And many of us remember October 22nd, 1978, when he was uh, in front of this vast crowd, and therefore also in front of the whole world, and that was when he, he pronounced his inaugural address or you know when he spoke to the whole world now he had just been elected nobody really know, knew who he was other than the fact that he was uh, from from Poland and he said among the opening words of his inaugural address he said today the the new bishop of Rome solemnly begins his ministry and the mission of Peter in this city in fact Peter completed and fulfilled the mission entrusted to him by the Lord. The Lord addressed him with these words. When you were young, you put on your own belt and walked where you liked. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and somebody else will put a belt around you and take you where you would rather not go. That's from the Gospel of St. John, where our Lord kind of prophesied uh, the, the mission of St. Peter and the fact that he would be uh, martyred. But Pope John Paul II was struck by this image that Peter actually went to Rome. He left his nets, he left his simple life in Galilee and went to Rome because, well, he was called there by our Lord. And there, in that homily, Pope John Paul II spoke about that famous um, account of St. Peter's life that was recounted in a, in, a, in a novel, a Polish novel in the 19th century by a famous uh, Polish author whose name was uh, Henryk uh, Sienkiewicz. And the novel was in Latin, well, in that Latin title called Quo Vadis. And you may have heard this famous story, this account of St. Peter during the persecution of the Emperor Nero. Nero was this wild and crazy, you know, really, really, um, you know, obsessed uh, emperor. 
and he decided to blame all the Christians on the fire that had taken place in Rome and he started like literally executing all the Christians that he could that he could find and um, and in that moment uh, the, the story is that St. Peter knowing that he could be executed decided to leave Rome he said I'm out of here I don't want to be executed so he's leaving Rome he's going along the Via Appia in the southern part of Rome and there suddenly he meets Jesus on the way of course, Jesus had already uh, been ascended into heaven, but there it was like an appearance of Jesus. And uh, the famous line that St. Peter said to Jesus, he said, of course, that was Latin, Quo vadis? Where are you going? And Jesus said to Peter, Me? You're asking me where I'm going? Well, I'm going back to Rome now, where all that persecution is happening, so that I can go and be re-crucified again, since... You know, you're not willing to do that, so I'm going to be re-crucified. And Peter was kind of shocked and said, Oh, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. I have to go back. And this exchange between Jesus and Peter made him turn around and he faced, uh, well, he faced his own martyrdom. And when they wanted to crucify him, they said, Look, he said, he said to them, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord, so if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. Which is what they did, and that's the famous image sometimes that you see of Peter uh, being crucified upside down. And this is the image that Pope John Paul II um, kind of narrated, that, that, that famous incident in, in the time of uh, Nero, the Emperor Nero. And so in his inaugural address, he mentioned that, but now he said... I am from Poland, but now I consider myself truly Roman. He had come from Warsaw. He had, he had made the trip. He didn't normally live in Rome. He made the occasional trip, but now, though he was from Poland, though he spoke Polish and didn't speak that much Italian, he said, now I consider myself Roman. He said in that inaugural address, he said, yes, brothers and sons and daughters, Rome is the sea of Peter. Down the centuries, new bishops continually succeeded him in this sea. Today, a new bishop comes to the chair of Peter in Rome, a bishop full of trepidation, conscious of his unworthiness. And how could one not tremble before the greatness of this call, before the universal mission of this sea of Rome? To the see of Peter in Rome, there succeeds today a bishop who is not a Roman, a bishop who is a son of Poland. But from this moment, he too becomes a Roman. Yes, a Roman. And when he said that, people just like, yeah, they cheered, you know, that this guy from so far away could consider himself now a Roman. He said, he is a Roman also because he is the son of a nation whose history from its first dawning and whose thousand-year-old traditions are marked by a living, strong, unbroken, and deeply felt link to the Sea of Peter, a nation which has ever remained faithful to, the, to this Sea of Rome. Inscrutable is the design of divine providence. So there he found himself in front of this, of course, this massive crowd, but also the, the entire church and really the entire world. 
and how how one must be filled with trepidation in front of in front of this uh, huge task that he was now given. He really saw this as the result of divine providence. And then uh, a few years later, he came to Canada, and I was there when he came to Canada. I still remember how he came to Montreal, and uh, we. Uh, collected ourselves in front of uh, the Cathedral of Montreal. In fact, not so much of the Cathedral, but just right to the side, there was a rectory, because we knew uh, that he would be living there. And together with uh, the Archbishop, and we brought some banners, and we painted these banners, we would unfurl them, and we would sing for the Holy Father. And the banners that we wrote were these huge letters that said in Latin, Omnis cum Petro ad Jesum per Mariam, which means all, all of us, with Peter, to Jesus, through Mary. It was in Latin, and, and that, that was an expression that he loved very much. And as we unfurled this banner, it was a big white banner, I still remember we got the paper itself from a, a company that had donated it, and we had to go and find the paint, and... Uh, Everybody looked at this phrase, Omnis Competra Diesum Per Mariam, and said, like, what does that mean? You know, because nobody could understand Latin, you know, in those days. And uh, even the police asked us, wait a minute, what does that mean? What does that mean? And we said, look, it means uh, all of us with, uh, you know, with Peter uh, to Jesus through Mary. Omnis Competra Diesum Per Mariam. And then finally, he came out and uh, he, you know, he greeted us and we sang to him. It was a very, very touching moment. And there's still a, like a, a sense of his presence there because they have kept uh, the, the bed in which he slept. It was, an, it was actually a very old bed from the 19th century, and it's called, well, the bed of John Paul II. Right? And then one of the rooms there, uh, one of the priests that showed me, well, that bed is the bed of John Paul II, but nobody uses it. It's just there in this room, right? And uh, it's like a, it's like for many, like a, like a relic. And, of course, all this was an invitation to us to really consider uh, the Pope as the successor of Peter, the visible source and foundation of the Church's unity. And it reminds us that we should really feel ourselves responsible to pray for the Pope, pray often for the Pope. When you see a, a photo of the Pope, an image of the Pope, we should think, well, imagine the weight that the Pope must have. Of course, John Paul II had that weight, but now, obviously, Pope Francis has that huge responsibility. And it can weigh a man down. And, and that's why we should feel our obligation to really, at least every time we see the Pope or, well, see pictures of him or something or hear about him, we should immediately feel that responsibility to kind of transmit some grace to him by our prayers. And indeed, Pope Francis has often asked people when he, you know, he's in a crowd or something, he says, pray for me, pray for me, you know, please pray for me. And we should respond to that. And all that is because we know that, that the Pope is the successor of Peter and he's really the source of unity in the church and the guarantee of the faith right? so that the faith always remains uh, untouched, that the faith that we have the sacraments, the teaching of the church, always is in, is in direct continuity with our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in direct con continuity with what Jesus, our Lord himself, entrusted to St. Peter. Mm -hmm. We have to be very 
grateful for that, that, that we have been entrusted with this treasure through the guarantee of, of the Pope and you know, all the popes through history. This is what St. Saint, uh, Saint Maria speaks about. He talks about our love, our veneration for the Pope. He says, We must love, venerate, and pray, and mortify ourselves for the Pope, and do so with greater affection every day. He is the foundation stone of the Church through the centuries right to the end of time. He carries out among men, the task of sanctifying, governing, which Jesus Christ entrusted to Peter. So, there are two symbolic um, images that represent Pope John Paul II. One is seeing Pope John Paul II in a state of cracking up, of laughing, almost crying out of laughter and the other image so one he's laughing his head off and the other is him absolutely concentrated on the cross and as though he's whispering something uh, to the Lord on the wood of the cross one he's laughing he's having a a, you know a, a raucous time and the other one he's focused he's praying so intensely and I remember when I was in Rome we used to have these these yearly meetings with Pope John Paul II in a piazza a square in within the Vatican called Piazza San Damaso and we would have like uh, which during Holy Week we would have like these skits and songs that we would sing to him and he would come to a little balcony there and and he loved clowns and there would be a guy who would like like dress up as a clown and another guy who was a magician and they would perform tricks and jokes and it was really meant to be a way to help Pope John Paul II rest after an intense holy week and the clowns were very good I mean this was not just a a childish trick they were very good at what they did and they we managed really to make uh, Pope John Paul II just like Practically break down with laughter at the at the at the clown's tricks and stuff. You know, if you and the guy would speak in Spanish and and uh, you know we all thought it was you know very very humorous. You know, but uh, but it was so you know happy to it was so happy for us to see um, the Pope you know giggling and, and laughing at that. And and so it is very important that each of us continue our sense of um, trust in the Pope. Now, of course, Pope John Paul II is interceding for us in heaven, but now we have to do it particularly for Pope Francis. We should at least know some of his writings or at least you know some of his homilies and uh, be there uh, to, uh, to pray for him. Right? And uh, we had the same thing when Cardinal Ratzinger was elected. Probably one of the most touching funerals I've ever seen was precisely the funeral of Pope John Paul II, where it seemed like the entire church was there present in that in that square, and of course the dean of the cardinals at that time was uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, and he gave what I think is probably one of the most uh, I would say the most 
moving homilies I've ever heard at a funeral because he was there in the midst of St. Peter's Square in front of the casket and on, to- on top of the casket they placed uh, the Gospels right? and the Gospels would flutter in the wind as he spoke and the casket was a very simple wooden, wooden casket with no decorations or anything and it was very, very moving and, and what he said is that um, that he kind of evoked uh, Pope John Paul II now looking down upon us from that window where we used to always see him speak. And he said, I can see him now looking at the entire church from that window, but now he's no longer just in that window. He's looking down at us from the window of heaven. And I had a friend who had a um, a painting made of of Cardinal Ratzinger speaking there. He was not yet Pope, but anyway, he was only Cardinal Ratzinger, and and a few days later he was elected Pope. And it's a painting of him speaking to the crowds, and there you can see the window, and from the window are these rays of light. One is red, and one is kind of a light blue, representing the the human nature in the red and the divine nature of Christ in the blue, representing those like the streams of light that came from the heart of, of Jesus, uh, uh, that image of Jesus uh, of the divine mercy, eh, which Sister, Sister Faustina had seen. It's a beautiful image, and, and that was his way of connecting with uh, Pope John Paul II, who is now not just in that window, but really um, interceding for the entire church now from heaven. But it is for us an invitation really to be very much united to the Holy Father right now, Pope Francis, eh? to always at least be aware of what he said, at least be aware of some of his writings. Eh? And every day when you, when you, whenever you go to Mass, there's always a moment when we pray for Pope Francis, but maybe we, that's the minimum we can do. Eh? I mean, it's such, an, it's, such a, it's such a huge responsibility. So he needs our prayer, and we should offer him that and um, and always uh, be very much united to him, which is what we were with Pope John Paul II, with Pope Benedict, and now with Pope Francis. And we can ask our Blessed Mother, because certainly Pope John Paul II was very, very devoted to our Blessed Mother, and she too will intercede for us so that we always be united to the Pope, whoever he may be, eh? and thereby foster great unity in the Church. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.